It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.08 on a Saturday morning, 66 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I am here to help you be more successful. Whatever you want to do. If you want to have one more flower, one less weed, one less job to do in the landscape, my phone lines are open. 404-872-0750. If you have a garden question, if you want to argue with me about something I have said, if you want to have a beginner garden question, if you want to have an organic answer, just give me a call. 404 872 0750. Robert over in Tucker, Georgia, joined us a few minutes, dialed those numbers a few minutes ago, and here he is on the air. Hey, Robert, good morning. Good morning to the newest Atlanta Mekong veteran. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. <laughs> Happy to be back from Vietnam, Cambodia. Sure am. Uh, you got hose ravines, didn't you, buddy? Well, it was something. I got pneumonia pretty bad. I know, but there. they got it all, son. Yeah. Would you go back? I would, sure. Oh, absolutely. Did it you was... make this? You didn't make it to uh, Sedek, did you? Mm-mm. What is Sedek? Sedek is south. Uh, it's on Highway Four, south of uh, of uh, Ho Chi Minh City. No, 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 no. We went to Saigon. That was as far as that was where we went in Vietnam. Then you got you got sick in Saigon, didn't? Yeah. You? Right. Okay. All right. Uh, let, we did a, a experiment. On uh, pine tree rust illumination, if yeah. you remember. Tell me more. And uh, it, it was not conclusive. So <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to do another one for Walter. Uh, my, I'm blessed with uh, 75% Mondo sod quality. Okay. It's taken two generations to get there, and 20% Zoysia. And I have not mowed my, my lawn since last year. Okay. Uh, now, I do top it. Occasionally, I'll go out and uh, swing blade and practice my backhand and my seven iron. <laughs> and, uh, and you, get, you know, when you're 73 years old, you, you know, you, you take every uh, opportunity to get exercise. And it's worked out very well. So you're just experimenting to see what will grow into the shade, or what are you trying to experiment oh, with? Oh, no, no, no. It, it, it grows. I, I'm under... Uh, 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 magnolia. I'm under red oak and water oak. Yeah, that's no problem. Uh, what I'm calling to let you know is, uh, of course, with my yard, I no pre-emergence, no uh, uh, fertilizer, no water all year. So that's why I'm blessed. I, yeah, the mondo in my backyard that I've been culturing now for five years about has taken over nicely. And I the same with you. I mow it once or maybe twice a year. Uh, it continues well, to well, choke out the weeds. It just does well, great back there. Well, 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 I was going to tell you, my, of course, my, uh, my yard is about six inches high. Okay. I'll, mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to tell you how good the Zalja has done. Of course, we had a very wet summer last year. Jeez. It's on the texture of ryegrass. It seems okay. to me that zoysia it, six inches high is going to be sort of yeah, tufty looking, yeah, Robert. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's it's kind of a white. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, 
it's not like uh, the typical Zoysia, but it's, it's thin. And what, what really surprised me, because I want my mind to take over everything, uh, the, the, it greened up nicely. And it's done so far this summer, yeah. or whatever we are, has really done well. And uh, so I'm going to keep experimenting with it, and uh, it's, a, it's a nice combination. Did I, and, did, uh, I, did I understand you to say you had something growing underneath the magnolia tree, Robert? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, sir. How, yes, much, sir. The, how far underneath the magnolia does the mono grass it, it, go? All, all the way to the trunk. And I'm going to tell you about that. No, well, I don't have a lot of time here, so let's okay, cut okay, that okay. short for next uh, time. It, it does not do well with heavy mulch. Yeah. You've got to pull the mulch, the mulch back from the from the tree, and the mondo would do very well. Wow, that is impressive because in my neighborhood we have two magnolia trees, and both of them I look to see what has possibly grown underneath of the. One of them has English ivy growing pretty close to the trunk. The other one has monkey grass growing about two four feet, I guess, from the trunk. Robert, that's as close as they get. If you can get mondo grass to go right up close to the trunk of a, of a magnolia. A special mondo grass because it's really shade tolerant underneath there. Thanks for calling, Robert. That's a great results to hear from your experiments there. John in Kennesaw joins us. Hey, John. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Hey, my, my name is John, but I'm not a farmer, John. I'm not sure. I think <laughs> I've done everything I possibly do wrong on tomatoes. What do you got? Interesting hearing what you said about the masses while ago and the squirrels getting in them. Yeah. I hadn't got to that part yet or at that point. I've I, I, Got two tomato plants that have been growing. They look like they're the beefy tomatoes, the big ones. Okay. And they were growing beautiful when I first got them. I had them in little one-gallon pots, brought them home and transplanted them, and I transplanted them in a three-gallon pot. Okay. And I put, I guess it was straight manure in there, thinking it was potting soil, which may have been my first mistake. Yeah. And and uh, I'm fixing to transplant those today. I hope if I could get a chance. But uh, I also put them by the pool, a saltwater pool. I also put them on concrete. And, of course, I was admiring them and, and watching them grow and everything. I've got like eight tomatoes on each plant now. Wow. But half, halfway down from the plant, these things are about four, four and a half feet tall. Halfway down, the leaves have turned yellow on it. And halfway up, the leaves are wilting on it. And, of course, I water these things probably every evening. I know you're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to be early in the morning, but I do it in the evening because that's the only time I have. And uh, I did drill holes in the pots to make sure that the, I didn't get root rot out of it. And these are still three-gallon pots you have them in, John? They're just about three gallons, yes, sir. And the vine is four feet high? Just about. I had to put cages on both of them to kind of prop both of them up. they got to be so tall. I think the, but, uh, the real problem were, that's going to happen is going to be water stress from drying out during the day. I know you, you, it really doesn't matter that much if you water them in the morning or in the evening like you're doing. But well, the they've problem also been is, in the sun all day long, and I thought, well, I've cooked these things with all this heat we've had yeah. in the past couple of days. So. That's exactly what I think is happening. It's too hot on the concrete, and the soil inside the pot, whether it's manure or or good potting soil, either one is drying out. I think in the middle of the day, one o'clock or so, the soil loses most of its moisture. In the tomato starts to wilt just a little bit, and just a little bit of wilt is enough to set in motion the processes that give you uh, blossom ends right on your fruit. So, I would. I wonder if I transplant them and just put them in the ground somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you know, where yeah a today, shade. this afternoon, and put them in the ground, and they'll be fine in the ground. But I don't think a three-gallon pot is nearly big enough for a four-foot-high vine. <laughs> okay. 
well, I'm going to have to try to do something. I'm going to lose my tomatoes. And yeah. then I'll, maybe next week I'll start worrying about the squirrels and the rodents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. That's what you just worry about then. But right now, the big thing to worry about is moisture in the soil. And I think they're just going to get too hot on the concrete. Move them as soon as you can. Get them, off the, get them out of the container, off the concrete. Put them in a place that I think the tomato would be a lot happier than they are right now. Peter is in Dallas, Georgia. Hey, Peter, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Hey, um, Peter. My wife, Janet, said I need to call my friend Walter and ask the question. <laughs> so for two years, finally, I got to it. So right. um, I've got um, a raised bed garden, third season of it, and we've not had luck with our zucchini or our squash. Uh-huh. The zucchini plant is huge right now, and the squash plants are tiny, but that's probably because they're not getting enough water on that end. But nevertheless, last year was different. Our cucumbers in the same row grew plenty of cucumbers, but we've never gotten a zucchini or a squash, and those things are yeah. prolific. I know that. But yeah, the yeah. flowers come out. They look beautiful. They do whatever they do, and then they dry up and fall off. Hmm. What I think is going on. Do you, Have we had our little talk about sex and squash, Peter? Um, I'm over 18, so yeah, we can have <laughs> We can talk about it on the air then. Okay. The, right. the deal with squash, cucumbers, melons, zucchini, all of them, is that they have two kinds of flowers on that plant. The mm-hmm. male flower comes usually will appear about two weeks before the female flowers appear on the vine. And the male flower, because it has no, doesn't have the ovaries and the ways to develop a fruit on it, will simply dry up and fall off when it's um, finished growing for a day. Usually they only last a day. So what you need to do, I think, Peter, is go out to your vines and look and begin learning to identify male versus female flowers. It's really easy. The male flowers, the ones that come on first, are going to have a flower and a little green stem, and that attaches them to the main, to the main vine, to the main zucchini or whatever you have. The female flowers, on the other hand, are very distinct because they will have a little bitty zucchini or cucumber or melon or yeah, I don't know, any other kind of, of squash-type plant you have will have a little bitty one of them underneath the flower. So go look at your squash and, and cucumber and other plants. You'll see the difference pretty quickly as soon as you're educated. Your eyes will say, oh, yeah, that's a male, that's a female, that's a male, that's a female. And see if I'm not right that the male flowers are the ones that have appeared first, and they're the ones that are just drying up right now. And eventually, when the female flowers all come at the same time, then the male flowers will have pollen in them. The bees and the butterflies and things will take the pollen from the male flowers over to the female flowers, and then you'll have fruit. Right. And last year, I did sort of come on your website or other websites, and I and I was getting pretty good at identifying them, but I think what I was seeing was only male flowers, and that just can't be possible, I know, Um, you know, but still, you know, two years now, actually three years, no fruit, so... um, You know, one of the things you could try, Peter, is doing the pollination yourself. That could also be a problem. If you don't have enough pollinating insects out there, then that would cause the female flowers to fall off, so something you can do real... Well, quickly, let me describe it. Just get a Q-tip swab and find the fa- a male flower. Take the swab, put it inside there, and diddle it around a little bit until you get some yellow pollen on it. Then take it over to a female flower and shake it around in there until you transfer pollen from one to the other. Do that yourself, and you've accomplished the same things that an insect would do. And you'll have fruit then from manual pollination. That would work, I think, pretty well, too. 
It's 719. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Brought to you by Finley Roofing. Sunshine, high today, 88 degrees, low 66 tonight. Tomorrow, uh, a few more clouds, a little shade, but high 90, low 66 again. Your full weekend forecast comes within 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Randy, it's Noah, real quickly. We've got time for you to come in here and talk about your weeds. Hey, Randy, good morning. Hey, how you doing, Walt? Doing fine, Randy. What's going on? Well, I've got two iris beds i've got one raised one that's about a four by eight and then i've got one that's a border that's uh, about a foot and a half wide and maybe 10 12 foot yeah and i'm trying to keep the weeds out of it mm. you know, or have only... something where i could use that that wouldn't hurt the um the irises read the label this is where it gets sort of complicated because some pre-emergents that are used on a lawn are not labeled for use in landscape or flower beds. So you got to read labels. And I'm not going to go read them for you because they change. I found one that last week that it completely changed and revised the plants it could be used on. And so I've just stopped saying brand names of pre-emergence. But there's only two things that you can do, really, Randy. One is to put a pre-emergent out in the spring and the fall to keep the winter and the summer weeds out. And the second one is simply to hand dig. There's no selective herbicide that will not hurt the iris that will keep, you know, broadleaf weeds, violets, and things out of your iris beds like you would, like you would normally have. So the hand weeding combined with pre-emergent is about the best you can do to keep the weeds out of the iris bed. There's no solution, shortcut, or anything else to it. A little work, a little chemical help, and that's about it. The 727 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 7.35 on a Saturday morning, 67.5 degrees right now. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener. I am here to help you be more successful. You formulate the question, I formulate the answer. We make a little partnership here, and we get on with our Saturday doings. 404-872-0750 is the number. And Tammy dialed those numbers just a few minutes ago from Athens. Hey, Tammy, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I've got an angel trumpet that is about, I guess it's three years old now, maybe yeah. four that I've got. Um and it's about four foot tall. I would say maybe two weeks ago, I started noticing the leaves on the very top seem to be curling. I have searched it and searched it. I can't find any bugs. Um, This morning, while I was waiting on you to take my call, I've been out here looking at it. (laughs) I found one tiny little spot, 
in the center of the, it's like right at the very tip of the plant, everything is curled and twisted and tight and kind of like the brand new leaves are kind of hard and Ah. very twisted. And I found one little spot that had, I thought maybe like a web or something in it, um, but only one spot. The you rest said of them these, almost look clean. This is a new leaves, the top leaves, right, Tammy? The top leaves are the biggest problem. But as I was looking down through some of the some of the little uh, leaves that come out in the Y or the V of the bigger leaves yeah. and the main stalks, some of those, just a few leaves down, look like they those brand new little leaves are trying to twist. I have a theory. Oh, good. One of the one of the things you one of the reasons you pay me all the big bucks that I'm sure you're going to send to the station this morning after we finish talking, Tammy, is because I have a lot of experience with people sending me pictures of various plants that do things, and so I've gotten pictures I know in years past of angel trumpets that have spider mites on them that sometimes can cause uh, curling and, and rolling of the leaves. Spider mites is one. Aphids is another when the when the leaves curl around. Yeah. The situation I've gotten already at least a dozen, or maybe not a dozen, maybe ten pictures of this so far this year have been curled leaves, thickened leaves, a very characteristic top of the plant situation. Yeah. And there were tomatoes that had been affected by weed killer. That is what I think you have on the angel trumpet, simply because oh. your symptoms are just exactly like the tomatoes, again, that I had ten at least. That have been sent well, to me. It's the top leaves, and it can be from just a mist, a windy day. The mist comes over <laughs> to the angel trumpets, but angel trumpet and tomato are all in the same family, and so that's why I think, oh, tomatoes get it, angel trumpets would too, um, and it can be well, I, just volatilization. Somebody put grain or weed and feed down, and it evaporates in the sunshine. That's what I think. You yeah. Have. Well, I, that could very well be because where this angel trumpet is. I kept having a stray wild cherry um, that had been it had been cut down, but you know it puts these little spots up in yeah, the yard, sure, sure. and so one came up right next to it. And I kept the last past years, I just kept cutting it back and cutting it back and just keeping it out of the way. This year, I put some Roundup on it, hmm. and it's right next to the plant. Yeah, so I mean, be. I was very careful, you know, just to not get it on my on the angel trumpet just to kind of spray just those leaves but i bet some of it could have i mean but that would have been like when the plant was two feet tall and now the plant's four feet tall yeah but i just it may not be roundup either because roundup injury to tomatoes is also very characteristic but it's not a curling roundup injury is more a yellowing of the leaf at the yeah. base of the leaf, and it's the uh, the oxen type weed killers, the 2,4-D, dicamba, micoprop. Those are the three ones that make the leaves curl and strap around. Here's what okay. I want you to do, Tammy. Here's what I want you to look for. Go on my website, WalterReeves.com, and type in the words tomato herbicide, tomato okay. herbicide, and look at the pictures of tomatoes and see if they look at all like your angel trumpet leaves do. Okay. I think they will. And if that's the case, uh, a lot of times, frankly, plants, big plants, tomatoes, even as small as they are, will grow through it. And angel trumpets, I think, might grow through it, too. The, the leaves will look weird, sure, but they'll still flower. You're not eating them okay. anyway, so it doesn't really matter. 
uh, right. whether they have the poison in them or not. But I think that's what I would look for. Look for herbicide entry on tomatoes and see if it looks like what you have. So there's really nothing that I can do to correct it time. at this point? Time. All you can do is apply some time, patience and time. And you wouldn't suggest ticking off the curled leaves, would you? You know, not particularly, simply because if they're green and they're on the plant, they're still photosynthesizing. They may be curled yeah. and weird and odd-looking, but they still are helping the plant to some extent. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I will do that. Look Thank it you up. very much. And if you don't think, think that's it, Tammy, next Saturday morning, I want you in here arguing with me and saying, no, it's not. It is not herbicide injury. It is something else. I'm sure of it. Let me know. I'd love to know. We'd love to find out what is really the root cause of the curling of the leaves. Jan is in Milledgeville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jan, good morning. Good morning. Thanks Hi. for the Rolling Stone music, by the way. <laughs> we do our best to please, Jan. How can we help? Um, um, about a, a good month ago, we planted some centipede sod in an area of our yard that just hasn't been doing well. Yeah. And it's done very well. We've watered it. We've taken good care of it. Um, and it's, but it's getting pretty long. Can we safely mow it at yeah. this stage? Is it rooted down well? Can you pull the side up, or is it, still, is it rooted down very nicely? I'll, I'll have to do that. I'll have to go and check. So I need to see if it's rooted down before mowing. Is that kind of yeah, I bet it is. And yeah, it's, sure, if it's rooted down nicely, then, yeah, mow it now. Your mowing's okay. fine. And um, so for what type of when and when should we fertilize that again then Let's this see. year? Did you fertilize already when it was put down? No, no we did not. Generally speaking, centipede is a is a not a heavy feeder, so one or two feedings in a year is fine. And most of the time, centipede is pretty sensitive to the middle number on a bag, and so you look for a fertilizer that's like fifteen zero fifteen or fifteen four fifteen or thirteen four thirteen or something like that. So you will oftentimes see products that are labeled as centipede fertilizer with that little real low middle number. But okay. that's what you look for, and put it down twice. Once now, if you haven't fertilized already, another time in June or July, just before it rains. Okay, okay. So fertilize it in the summer then, just in a month or so. Yeah. Just, you said just before it rains or after it rains? Well, or? I want you to do it before it rains, so the rain sort of does the work of washing the fertilizer into the soil for you. And I know, okay. the, I know the centipede won't be too stressed, and so it's fine to fertilize when the centipede is not stressed at all. That'd be right before rain when it gets nice water from the irrigation from the rain. All right, and for not using 10 10 10, that, that isn't no. good for life. No, we're not going to use 10 10 10 on side ever in our life. Take the pledge with me. No 10 10 10 on lawns. Got it. Got it. Okay. Right. Thank you so much. You're right, Jan. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. The reason I don't recommend 10, 10, 10 for lawns is simply because the middle number, that middle number is problematic. That's phosphorus. And in most cases, we have plenty of phosphorus in our soil in Georgia. There's no sense in adding more to it. And the second place, much, many times that phosphorus 10, 10, 10 gets into the drainage systems and the sewer systems and it goes into the creeks and down to the rivers and down to the lakes. And the lakes in South Georgia have a terrible problem with lots of phosphorus getting into the water and causing big algae blooms. They turn green all over. The lake does not look healthy. It doesn't smell very good either, all because of phosphorus pollution. And so the better way to apply fertilizer for a lawn is one of the lawn product fertilizers, one that says this is for turf fertilizer, this is lawn fertilizer. Usually the first number is going to be somewhere above 20. So it would be 25.32 or 25.48 or 28.91 or 28.912. Something that has a high first number, 
They're formulated to be a very slow-release fertilizer, and they go on, they're watered in, and it releases nutrients for a long time. Whereas with 10-10-10, the nitrogen in 10-10-10 gets released almost immediately. As soon as, you, as soon as you water it or the rain comes, that nitrogen and the phosphorus go into the soil, immediately useful to the plant, and then it runs out as if it doesn't have anything to eat for the next uh, three weeks after you put the fertilizer down once. It uses it for about a week, and the next three or four weeks doesn't have anything to eat at all, and that's not good for plants. No 10-10-10. Use a turf fertilizer, lawn fertilizer, at the rate it says on the bags. Jim's down in Fayetteville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jim, good morning. Uh, good morning. Hi. We've got uh, some moss-like material growing on the tree trunks, and it's even growing on birdhouses that yeah. are out in the yard. Yeah. Uh, is that What is that? Is it harmful, and do I need to get rid of it, and if so, how? If it is a lichen, and lichens are grayish, they look sort of like little scales, not little scales, big scales, and sometimes little yeah. bushy things on there, too. Lichens don't hurt anything, Jim. They are decoration for the birdhouse. I guess some, some birds would use lichens as a lining for their nest, but lichens on the trunk of a tree, lining on um, azaleas, dogwoods, things like that. The lichens do no damage at all to the tree. They simply like to grow on bark, and that's all they do is they grow on the bark. Well, very well. That's good news. One less thing to worry about, Jim. Sure is. Thanks, Walter. Always appreciate you. <laughs> See, some of the services I provide on the show are what you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about lichens. They're simply there because they like bark. They're up off the ground and where other creatures might eat them. But one thing that lichens do show is that the top of the tree is not very leafy, not very dense. And the lichens can't grow in the shade at all because they need sunshine to do a little photosynthesis. And so... If you have lichens on an azalea or an old dogwood, many times it means that the azalea needs to be pruned, needs to have some rejuvenation done to it, so that the plant itself gets more leafy, which is healthier, and the lichens then will sort of fade away off the trunk. But again, they by themselves do nothing to the tree. They're not a parasite. They don't do anything bad for your tree. It's 747 at News Talk WSB, and we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. What else should I be? music on a Saturday morning. But a quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, sunshine high around 88, low of 66. Tomorrow, some clouds maybe in the afternoon, a little shade in the afternoon. High of 90, low of 66 degrees. Tomorrow, your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. we got uh, David in Buckhead who joins us. Hey, David. Good morning. Hey, sir. How you doing? Good, fine, Dave. What you need? Well, I've got a gifted staghorn fern that that is doing fabulously out on the back porch right now. But I know they're sensitive when the winter turns cooler to, um, you know, coldness. And I'm trying to figure out how to get it through the fall winter when we get out of, you know, this this climate. Well, the obvious thing is you have to bring it indoors. Do you have a room or a place or the brightest light you can find inside the house that you could hang it somehow there? 
Uh, I could set something up pretty easy. I mean, I could I could bring in grow lights and that kind of stuff. Jason Byers, our engineer here, grows citrus plants in his bathroom during the wintertime. So if you have an <laughs> understanding family, you can put it in the bathroom. That's a great place for a staghorn fern by a bright bathroom window. Uh, how big is this thing, David? Well, it's right now it's probably uh, edge to edge, 18, 20 inches. Getting large there. Well, I'm going to leave it up to you. You've got to have light, and you've got to keep it warm. So however you accomplish that, that is what it needs. It would be nice if it were moist. It does appreciate some high humidity during the wintertime. Right. It's hard because right. of the furnace and everything going around. But that's what it needs, light, humidity, temperature. I could I could build a window box out, out of, off my master bath, and uh, that gets good light in the wintertime. David, if you want to do that, fine. <laughs> no, I could. I could. No, that'll work. That'll work. Good idea. All right. So All you right. just you're just saying good light and keep it humid. Yeah. Do I have to? I don't have to really water it or fertilize it that much, right? No, nope. no, not in the wintertime at all. And during okay. the summertime, okay. the way you fertilize, just sort of trickle some little bit of nutrients down through the the backer bore that it's attached to. It doesn't need a lot of fertilizer, but just a little bit like. Think of bird droppings. That's what fertilizes in the wild. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, okay. Use that. I got an idea. Thank you. Okay, David. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. I think we've got time to get Michael in here. Michael and Marietta, join us in Lawn and Garden. Hey, Michael. Hey, good morning. What you got? Yeah. Um, we have Zoysia Lawn. It's, a, I mean, very well established, probably at least 25 years. Yeah. And uh, two questions that I have for it. One, what's the best time of day to water it? Okay. Uh, we typically water it in the morning, but a lot of our neighbors water at night, so mm -hmm. I just was curious about that. And second, we get some areas on the, the lawn where it turns brown, uh, you know, uh, like a large area, maybe about three feet, four feet wide. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure what's causing that. Sometimes it'll bounce back. Just trying to find out what the best thing is to try to keep it green longer. Okay, answer your first question. You're right, they're wrong. Morning okay. is always better to water a lawn simply because it helps the foliage dry off during the afternoon, and then it's completely dry by nightfall. If you water okay. in the late afternoon or in the night, either one, zoysia will stay moist all night long, and that leads it to get diseases. And one of the worst things about zoysia is the thatch-based diseases, and that is many times what I think causes these brown, patchy areas in zoysia. There's just a little bit of thatch that's accumulated there, and the, either the crown of the plant rots, or you get some decomposing fungi that decompose the thatch, and then the black spores coat the leaves of the grass around there. If you want a picture of that, I got a couple of pictures I think are really explanatory on my website. Look on WalterReeves.com, type the word zoysia black, because zoysia black or zoysia streaks, either one, will take you to the page that I show these pictures of zoysia lawns they have these sort of unexplained streaks in them, which were explained when we got down close to the grass and saw the spores on the grass blades themselves. Look at that thatch thing on there, Michael. That is what I think is going on. In the next half hour, we'll talk to William and Jefferson about auto mowers. I have one. I have an auto mower that mows my lawn every day, almost 24-7 sometimes, and we'll talk about that with him. Leslie in Atlanta has an Azalea almost choked out by honeysuckle. All this coming up after news.